What I want to talk about today is halachas, not of Yom Kippur itself, those I think people know pretty well, but I want to talk about halachas which apply to Erev Yom Kippur. If we look in the Shulchan Aruch, we'll find four separate simonim discussing concepts of halacha which apply to Erev Yom Kippur, some better known, some less well known. But I think we should go through those, and I think we'll find a lot of interesting points in halacha, uh, which we can discuss, and a number of points which also come out of that, which are halacha lemaisa. So we find four separate, like I said, concepts that a person is mukhiyaf to do in Arabian Kippur. The first is the minag of kaparis. The second is the khiyaf a person has so to speak, she affires Chavero to appease his friend if he's harmed him. The third is the mitzvah of eating in Erev Kippur. And that just applies also to the Surah Mavsekas, mitzvah to before Yom Kippur. And lastly, we find also brought the mitzvah in the Ramah, the mitzvah to be Tevil, the Shachon brings us as well, to go to Mikveh on Erev Kippur. Okay, so let's start first with Kaparis and, and talk about the halachas which apply to that, and you'll see the other ones as well. The Shulchan Aruch brings that a person shouldn't do it. He says that those of the minag of Erev Kippur shechting a chicken for each person, and one should prevent this minag. The Shulchan Aruch felt that this was some kind of darkei emori, some kind of superstitious behavior. However, the Ramah argues, the Ramah says this is already brought in the Go'inim, and that's a minag in the whole of Europe, and one shouldn't change a minag of Klai Yisrael. Which is why by the Ashkenazi communities today, everyone does Kaparis. Today, even most Sephardi communities do Kaparis as well, and the reason for that is it's brought in the Arizal, as we're going to see, the Rizal has his way of explaining it. But nevertheless, since the Rizal brings and attaches a lot of importance and significance to the idea of, bring, of doing Kaparis, so most Sephardi communities, when there's a Narizal or Pikabala who's adding something to the Shulchan Aruch, that's how they hold, and that's why there's an Indian to do Kaparis for the Sephardim as well. However, we're going to see and there are a number of differences in how Kaparis has to work based on the shit of the Ramah, the opinion of the Ramah, or the opinion of the Ariza. So, for example, the Ramah Paskins, what was done was the Minag was to take a male chicken for a man, a female chicken for a lady, and for a Mulberis, for a pregnant lady, the Ramah says to take two chickens, one female and one male. The female one for herself. So why would she need a male one? Because maybe the baby was going to be a boy, in which case she would need a male chicken for the baby. And it comes out of the Ramah that if the baby would be a girl, then the female chicken she took for herself would work for the baby as well. So what we see from the, it seems from the shit of the Ramah, is that even though one has to differentiate between male chickens for men or female chickens for women, that one chicken could be used for a number of people. 
There was one male chicken for a number of men, or one female chicken for a number of ladies. However, the God disagrees with us, and the God, the God argues, he paskins, that one needs a chicken per person. And therefore he says that every man will need, or every lady will need her, his or her own chicken. And when it comes to a pregnant lady, the God holds that you'll need three chickens. One chicken for the mother, a male chicken in case the, the baby's a boy, and a female chicken in case the baby's a girl. This is obviously more machmed than ever, that holds that one chicken works for both. The mother and the baby if it's a girl. However, there are those Akhronim who explain the Ramah and they say that according to the Ramah, maybe the idea that the chicken can work for both mother and baby only applies to mother and a baby because they're considered like one body. However, if we'll be two separate people completely, then we would need two chickens for two separate people. The result, based on the concept of the Kabbalah, also holds that every person needs their own chicken. Now, what's the reason for Kaparis? So, and why the African chicken? So it seems that the postcom learned it, that it's meant to be some kind of Kapara, and today we don't have Karbonus, we can't bring a carbon, but instead of that, we can bring or use a chicken, which is then going to be either given to the Anim, to the poor people to eat directly, or at least its value in money is going to be given to the poor people. And as we know, stalker is one of the three things which can bring about a change in the din. And that was the idea of bringing kaparis. The reason they use the chicken is because one can't use an animal which is could have been used as a carbon, otherwise people will confuse it to and think of this as a carbon, which obviously it's not. And therefore they had to use a species which couldn't be used as a carbon. And the most frequently found domesticated kosher animal, which isn't a carbon, would be the chicken. The other animals people would naturally have at home, which would be sheep or goats, could be used as carbonus. Same thing for doves. And therefore, if that's the case, they wouldn't be useful for kaparis. Obviously, if a person has a different kind of kosher bird, which would not be a carbon, the feeders would be mutter for kaparis as well. So a person could use a duck if they wanted, or a goose, because these things couldn't be carbonus. That's the first reason for kaparis. And that's the case. The idea of, of, of taking the bird and saying this is in my place, the khalifasi, the tzmurasi, is basically a way of saying that the mitzvah I'm doing of soccer is going to uh, work instead of being high of a carbon. And uh, it should work to give the person a kapar. And that's why there's also the certain people that may like to take a fish. Because a fish is also a kosher animal and not something which could have been brought as a carbon. Obviously, if a person is taking a fish, he has to take a live fish, which means either you have to take the fish in its water, or he has to take out the fish and do kaparis pretty quickly, so the fish doesn't die on him before he's finished doing kaparis. Um, what about using a dab in the in the period when it's not kosher as a carbon? As we know, there's a certain age when dabs are kosher as a carbon, and a certain age when not. And if that's the case, if a person would use a dab at the age or stage was no longer kosher as a carbon, there's a question in Nachronim, would that be something which would be mutter for kaparis? And we give Ega holds in this, that if they're no longer right to be used as a carbon, then one could use them as a kaparis. So that's the first reason for kaparis. One could wonder, 
that the, the reason for kapara is kapara for the various ones done. So what's the point of taking uh, kapara for a baby who hasn't been born yet? At that stage, the baby hasn't done any avarus, so why does it need a kapara? Uh, so there are a number of answers to this. Rav Scheinberg answers that it may be a kapara for a Gilgal or a previous Gilgal that the baby had previously lived, and we need a kapara for, which I can't claim to be a bucking Gilgalim, but it's definitely a Chiddush. Because even if a person is coming back to attack in a previous Gilgal, right, it's a certain Chiddush that you need to do actions to mechaper in a previous Gilgal. That's one idea. Uh, so Rav Moshe Shtambuch brings another idea, very interesting, and then he wants to prove that for an unborn baby, the thoughts of the mother affect the baby. He has a very nice proof for this. There's a halacha in Dine Geirus, that if a family wants to convert, the parents want to convert Yiddishkeit, so the person can accept them. What happens if they have little children? They're not yet at the age of Bar or Bas Mitzvah, and therefore the children aren't at a stage where they're able to decide to become Yidin. So the Gemara says that in a case where the parents become Yidin, and there are children and based in determined, and this would be the children's best interest, to become Yidin as well, so Basin has the right to matpil them for Geras. Or in the words of the Gemara, matpilin is the Maldas Basin. On the dance of the Basin, we can retable them. Okay. Now, Shlomoch asks the question, if that's the case, what happens if the mother is pregnant when she wants to become a Gieris? So right now, she wants to become a Gieris, what's going to be the status of her child? So we know that the halach is a Neidosa Bektosha. If the child is born a Jew, the child's a Jew. Even though, at the time of conception, the mother wasn't a Jewish, but if at the time of birth she's Jewish, the child's a Jew. If that's the case, where was the Das Basin? Did Basin need to decide that we're going to, uh, so to speak, do the garrison on behalf of the unborn child? We don't find that. So it must be that the mother's intention to become a garrison works for the child as well. If that's the case, he wants to extrapolate, and maybe the same thing would apply here too. And that is that the thoughts which were wrong that the mother had, a very that the mother did, might have had some effect on her unborn child. And if that's the case, the, ch- the kapara being done for the child is really a kapara by extension of what the mother did wrong and may have affected the child. The prima Godim asked the question that if we already have a chashash, maybe the child's a boy, maybe the child's a girl, so why don't we take the stage further and uh, use five chickens? Because maybe they're twins. Maybe they're twin bones, twins are twin girls, or maybe it's one of each. So why don't we need to take that into consideration as well? And his answer is, is that since most pregnancies are not twins, it's not chiech, it's not common, so therefore there's no reason to uh, be choshish to that and take the extra chicken. But based on this, the post can point out, from Zalman and others, that if we know from an ultrasound or from other testing that the lady is expecting twins, then of course she'll have to do uh, an extra kaporis because she has to take into account that maybe uh, for each of the babies inside of her. Again, according to Ramot, two chickens will be enough because one chicken can be used for multiple people. According to the Vilnagon, or according to the Arizal, that each person needs their own chicken. So in this case also, they'll have to take that amount of chickens. However, based on that same understanding, Rav Shlomo says that the idea of taking both a boy and a girl chicken for whether the baby is a boy or a girl, 
will only apply in a case where it doesn't know what the baby is. However, if a person is on testing uh, or screening, whatever it is, and he knows that, that the baby is a boy or the baby is a girl, then there wouldn't be a, we can rely on that, and it wouldn't be necessary to take two chickens onto Suffolk because once the person knows, there isn't really a Suffolk anymore. The Arizal has a different understanding of Kaparis. And the Arizal's understanding of Kaparis is that it has to be specifically a chicken. A chicken is called a Gever, like the Pasuk says, or at least the mission says, in Yuma, it says a Kriyas a Gever, and the Gemara explains it to mean the crow of the rooster, and therefore it stands in place of the person who's also called a Gever. And therefore each person needs the chicken, which is going to be Ayman Bim Kaimam, and the way the Rizal understands it, it's not really a kapara, as much as a tzmura. As much as a tzmura, a tzmura means something which is a transfer. And therefore the idea of the chicken is a person feels that he's transferring uh, any oinish, which was meant to happen to the person, he's transferring to this chicken, and therefore he's going to say that this thing is yechemisa, and yechemis lechai. It's statistically taking the gzaradin instead of me. And since then, if that's the case, it's not a kapara. Rather, it's some kind of a tzmura, it's something to replace the, the din or the oinish, which may have been coming to a person, so it makes a lot of sense why each person needs their own chicken. Besides for that, we also understand why a baby, even an unborn baby, will need a chicken, because when the babies are also judged on Rosh Hashanah. This is the year they're meant to be born, and anything which goes into it will be decided in Rosh Hashanah. And if that's the case, so one doesn't want any negative din, chas v'shalem, to happen to the baby, and therefore, the reason to do kaparis is to transfer any gazar din ra, which might have happened to the baby, onto the chicken. Okay, so that's the svara of the result. It's interesting, there's one more point. He points out that the three words, which is basically saying it, this chicken will stand in my stead, that the Rosh Etev those three words. Khalifasi, Tzmurasi, Kaparasi is the word Khatakh. And on that, Ariza points out that the Malach, who is entrusted with writing the entries in the Sefer Achaim for people who have been spared for life, his name is Khatakh. And that's the intention here also that by transferring any negative din to the chicken, a person should be inscribed or be zechat to life. Just as another example of the same idea, in the period we said, Rishon Yom Kippur, so the word is, we say in the period, which literally means a person who, uh, the one who cuts life for every person. And there again, he points out that the Malach, whose job it is to drive people in Sefer Chaim, his name is Chatach. Okay, so therefore, according to the result, be specifically a chicken with this intention in mind. Now, there's two interesting points on this. The first one is, is if that's the case, does the person, we know, a person can do kaparis on themselves. We know a person can do kaparis for somebody else. So, for example, someone doesn't want to hold or touch the chicken, so they can stand there and someone else can wave the chicken around them and say, in the second person, this is your kapara, this is your uh, chmura, and it also works. If that's the case, the question is, does the recipient of the kapara, so to speak, need to be present? In other words, can I just take a chicken and pick it up and say, this is the chmura, the kapara of so-and-so, or does the person need to be here? The Mashmasa, Rabbi Yashif asked that the person needs to be here. And this is really a question, because by Korbanus, we don't find that necessity. Right? By Korbanus, Allah is a person can send the Korban to Beis HaMikdash, and the Korban is effective. 
And even though we find by Korbanus that one of the reasons for bringing the Korban is that a person should feel that this what's happened to this Korban is really what should have happened to me, and this Korban is my Tzmura. This Korban is here in my place because uh, I, would have, I would have should have really been punished in this way, and I see the Korban as being Nenash, being punished instead of me, but nevertheless, it's not a requirement that the person should be in the best of me just for a Korban. And if that's the case, the Chayra Bakaparis, we could have asked the same question. We could have asked the same question, and that is, why is it necessary that a person has to be present to have kaparas done for him? Why is it enough that a person can send, so to speak, kaparas to be done and that will work in his place? The answer has to be that the kaparas of the chi- the tumor of the chicken isn't exactly like a carbon. The, the avoid of the carbon is mechaper, and the fact that a person feels that this is replacing me is just uh, an added lesson which can be learned from the carbon, which is different in the case of which is different in the case of uh, Kaparis, where the whole Kapara is the fact that the person feels that this is replacing me, if that's the case, according to Rabbi Yashiv, at least he needs to be there for that. Um, that's one din. There's another interesting din which is asked, and that is, what's the halacha if when the shech's a chicken, one finds the chicken's a trefer? It was injured in some, some way, and if that's the case, it wasn't, it wasn't a kosher chicken. So does one need to repeat the Kaparis? And the poets can pass a not, and actually uh, we understand it. If the idea was this chicken is going to miss instead of the person, so the chicken's already been afflicted with that. And therefore there's no reason to repeat the kaparas. But according to these poets, if the chicken will then get lost and he never actually shakted it, so then since the point of it is to repeat is to get the kapara of or the din should be transferred to the chicken, then the person will have to do the kaparas again. Uh, According to the first, the shitta, the shitta of we saw before of the poiskim that idea is the stock which is given. See, then uh, it's true, a tray for chicken isn't worth anything because no one can eat it. But the person can give the value of a chicken to kaparis, to stocker, and that would work as well. There are those people who the chachira want to use money for kaparis instead of chickens. This is obviously working with the svara that the male of kaparis is the stocker which one's doing. But still, there's a, the person can point out that there's a significance to using money, kasef, because if you take the letters which make up the word kasef in Hebrew, which is the chaf, samach, kasef, pay, and you write each one out. So if kasef is chaf, kaf, chaf, and then samach is samach, mem, chaf, and then um, pay is pay, aleph, you, uh, you take the gematria of that, it will come out to the same gematria as the word kapara. If that's the case, is the question, does money mean kasef or does silver mean kasef? Which means, could one use Dafka silver coins or could even use banknotes? That would be according to the opinion, but that's an also a kosher way to to do the minag of kaparis. The ideal time for kaparis is in a, at Baris HaShachar, but any time in Azari Simitshiva works, which was some people do it earlier, it's brought in the Mishnah also there, if it's a shot of shechting the chickens. And if everyone's doing it at the same time, it's going to be too much pressure on the sheikh team, they won't be able to do the job properly, so it's better to do kaparis earlier and uh, make sure that the, the sheikh team are doing the shechita as they meant to do. Okay, so that's our first uh, din on Ervin Kippur, is din of kaparis. The second din we see on Ervin Kippur is a din that a person's meant to find his chaveray, a person's meant to appease his friends, and is brought in the shechonarach as shefayis on chaveray be'er yamakipurim. A person has to appease his friends on Erev Yom Kippur. 
And this is really a bit of a question. And that is that a person should appease his friend whenever he harms his friend. It's, it's not specifically a din Erevim Kippur. If I realize I had an argument with somebody or I said something unkind or in some way someone was hurt by me, so as soon as I'm aware of that, I should go and appease them. There's no mitzvah to wait till Erevim Kippur. Also, if I'm worried about being punished for somebody else's hard feelings towards me, then if that's the case, I should read this in Erevim Shoshanah before the din. Why do we see there's a specific uh, date given, a certain time given, that it's connected to Erev Yom Kippur. So the simple reason is what the Shukhnach himself brings, and that is it's coming from the Gemara. And the Gemara says that are various uh, various between people. Yom Kippur is not Mechaper until a person has been married to his friends. Which means a Navera between people needs forgiveness from the person who was harmed, who was wronged, and also needs forgiveness from Hashem. But over here, Hashem won't forgive until the person has forgiven. And that's why first it has to go to the person who was wrong to ask him his forgiveness. And only after that, a person can ask Hashem for forgiveness. And why is that important? Because the Rabbi Yonah teaches us in the Passover, it says, That on this day, Hashem will atone for you to purify you. Is what Hashem is prepared to do on Yom Kippur is provide atonement. And then the second part of the Pasuk, from all your sins, you have to purify yourselves in front of Hashem, is the, the act of instruction for us, for Klai Yisrael. And that is, we must do whatever we can to retire ourselves from any of areas that we're able to retire ourselves from. And that's why, if a person knows that they have something which doesn't belong to them, or they have outstanding debts, they should make every effort to pay those debts before Yom Kippur, because a person should so to speak, make sure that there's no uh, outstanding things he's done wrong or hasn't rectified on Yom Kippur. That's also the reason to do a Taurus Nadarim, because if a person has got Nadarim, which is the Nechshalim, so doing a Taurus Nadarim can take away the Oynish of being over Nadarim, and the person is to do that. And if that's the case, since there's also a Chiyav to Nadarim himself on Yom Kippur, to get Kapara for various Malachavere, and that's only a possibility if a person's first asked for uh, his friends for Mechila so a person is to do that before Yom Kippur so that he can get Kapara for those other as well now that's not, uh, we learn both can bring that if a person is asked for Mechila firstly he should be forgiving there's a tremendous Mele uh, in that Gemara says that a person who is forgiving to others, so he can then ask Hashem to be forgiving to him. And therefore, even if a person is justly hurt, or was wronged, whatever the case may be, but uh, if he decides to be generous and forgive other people, uh, then he can ask Hashem to forgive his avarice as well. Obviously, it has to be met. If a person was hurt that deeply that he doesn't feel he's able to forgive, or and it's again a case where a person was stolen from and therefore he wants the money to be returned. In a case like that, so then if, if, if a person, so to speak, is unable to forgive, then we're going to see that not necessarily is enough just to say you're forgiven. It's not like if that has any effect. If a person in his heart doesn't really mean to forgive. Um, but if a person does want to forgive, 
then you should actually say, Machulach, I forgive you. Not just the words, don't worry about it, it's okay, or whatever that may be. There's a famous Rebbein of Bechaye that says, when Yosef's brothers ask him for forgiveness, you see in Yosef, it says, Vayinachem Yosef, he says, don't worry about it, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to harm you if I wanted to. Uh, if one candle can't get extinguished by 12 candles, then how is it possible for them to get extinguished by the one candle? But nevertheless, we find that there was a tremendous oynish that Klayashal suffered for uh, the sin of setting Yosef. And Rabbi Bachaya points out because it was Yosef never really set his meichel. And if that's the case, if a person does want to get forgiveness, he must bring the other person to say, Machalach, I forgive you. Now, there's a halachas in this. A person has to try three times. And uh, if he's refused the first time, he's tried the second time, he refused the second time, he's tried the third time. And then, if he's still refused, so the halachas doesn't have to try anymore. And there's a question here, what's the reason for that? Is the reason for that because uh, he's done what he has to do? And therefore, Akilo, Hashem won't forgive him until he's tried his best to miratza his friend. And if his friend is refusing to, in any circumstances, to compromise or to be to agree to accept the apology, so he's not mechuyev anymore. Or is the pshat in that because there's no point? Once he's tried three times and the person keeps refusing, so he's just going to—he's really muxak. He's going to refuse the fourth and the fifth time as well. So why am I asking? What's the difference between these two? The difference would be if, let's say, circumstances will be different later on, and there'll be a chance that maybe nothing's are different. For example, he'll bring with somebody to intercede on his behalf, or maybe a year later things won't be felt the same way. And if that's the case, the person will have to keep trying. And this is an alaqa that he is, which means that it's not that if he's asked three times, now he's potter. If he's asked three times, it's pointless to try anymore. But if circumstances will change, maybe the following year, or maybe whatever factor it would be, which now there's more of a reason to assume that maybe now the person would agree to you, Michael, he's mechuyif to try and ask again. Someone it's brought down that if a person wasn't able to ask on Mechila in their lifetime, he should take a minion to their grave and ask Mechila there. And the assumption is that the Nisham in Shemaim understands the value of forgiving another person and would agree to be Mechil. And if that's the case, even if it was somebody who he did ask Mechila three times during his lifetime and was constantly refused, it's still worthwhile asking again after the other person dies because it could be that now that that Nisham is in Shemaim, it would be willing to give Mechila even if it hadn't been in its lifetime. Sometimes that's the Aniyatza. Rabbi Yashif Paskin, for a person who isn't considered to be a Baradas, he's considered a Shaita. So if that's the case, it's not possible for him to give Mechila here. He doesn't understand. Just like by a child, who's still a child, is not a Bar Mechila, he doesn't understand. So by a child, he has the option of waiting until he becomes Bar Bas Mitzvah and then asking Mechila again. And then they're now considered able to give Mechila. But by someone who doesn't have das, who's considered a shaita, so Rav Yashif Pasuk, the only eitz is to wait until they die and then take a minion to their grave. Because it's understood that in Shemaim, at least, even if they, in this world, were not considered a bar das, in Shemaim they understand, and then they'll be able to be meichel later on. Now there's a fundamental question on this idea of asking mechila, and that is, if the other person is being meichel, so why isn't that enough? In other words, if I know that the other person is has forgiven anybody who harmed him. So am I still mechuyif to go and ask him for mechila? That's uh, one question. Or can I be samich on the fact that everyone says to and in that there's a paragraph which says that a person's meichel 
everybody who's hungry? And the answer is, which from a clear Gemara, it's not enough. It's a matter to asking Mechila. What's the Gemara? The Gemara brings the story of Rav, that there was some incident between Rav and a certain butcher, and the butcher had wronged Rav. And therefore, Erev Mkippah, the Gemara says, Rav went to the, for this, for this butcher's store you know, so that to give the butcher the opportunity to ask him for Mechila. And the question is, if Rav was willing to forgive the butcher, then just forgive him. Why was it necessary to go to the butcher's store so that the butcher would be able to ask him? And here we see that it's not enough just that the aggrieved party agrees to forgive. There's a specific value in the person who did wrong asking for Mechila. And therefore, even if you assume the person you harmed has forgiven you already, there's still a matter in asking for forgiveness. And the reason for that you're going to see is the same concept underlying what we see as the point of doing bidu. In other words, why don't we just assume Hashem forgives us if we feel sorry? We have, why do we have to go and say video, which is really expressing to Hashem the fact that we apologize for what we did and we want to be forgiven? And the answer is that it's not just we're worried about the other person's hakpada, the other person's uh, anger or uh, feeling hurt about what we did. Even if he's gotten over it, the way we can rectify what we did wrong is by humbling ourselves to come and apologize, acknowledge we did wrong, and ask for forgiveness. And the same applies to Hashem. It's not that Hashem has a grudge or is angry with us because of something we did. Hashem doesn't have bad medicine, but it's more that we need to correct the wrong we did, we've done. And the reason to do that, the way to do that, is by coming to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, acknowledging the wrong and apologizing for it. And there's a place to another person also. And that's why there's a point in asking Mechila, even if one assumes or knows that the other person's forgiven him. Now, people do this all wrong. Not all wrong, people do this partly wrong, which means People naturally ask Mechila from their friends. And that may be important, for sure, if a person knows that they've wronged a friend, or even if it's in, the, in being as people are with their friends or their family so often, it's, it's nearly inevitable that they won't have done something or said something to hurt the other. And therefore, for sure, there's a place for asking Mechila from the people who are close to you. That's important, too. But uh, what's much more important is Mechila from those people that are enemies. Which re- those who really have a taina or some kind of claim against the person, and naturally it's harder to ask people like that, and therefore people don't. They just ask the mechila from the people who are close to them, who are their friends, who they know for sure will give them mechila. And again, there's nothing, there's no value in that, but for sure one needs to ask mechila from those people that it's hard to ask from as well. Now, what about if a person doesn't know who he harmed? And that's the case, he doesn't know who the address to ask Mechila from is. So now he has a problem. And that is, he can't ask Mechila because he doesn't know who to ask from. The Chayos of Avos in Shara Yod of his Shara Tshuva says a very big Kiddush. And he says, since Hashem wants to help people do Tshuva, so in a case like that, if a person sincerely regrets what he did wrong, and he really is unable to find who he hurt, and therefore he doesn't have a way to ask for Kapara, what you should do is you should dive into Hashem to cause the person who he harmed to feel in their heart that they're going to forgive him. And even though, as we said previously, that's not ideal, because the point of asking for a kapara, asking for mechila, is that a person could ask and uh, therefore somehow rectify the wrong he caused. If that's not a possibility, because he doesn't know who to ask from, he doesn't know who the, the so to speak, the victim was, and the least he can do is to ask to Hashem that at least the person shouldn't have 
an act of complaint against them. It shouldn't have kindness on him. And Hashem should cause the other person to feel forgiveness towards him. Now, what about if a person harms someone and the other person doesn't know what happened? So, do I have to go and tell him what I did to him in order to ask Mechila? When, uh, if even if that's what's going to hurt him because now he's going to find out what was done to him which he didn't know about previously. So it's interesting, this point is the Mechlekes between the Shechafetz Chaim and the Yisrael Salanta. Shechafetz Chaim writes in Shechafetz Chaim, the end of Perek Talit, that if a person spoke Lashon Hara about someone else, he has to ask Mechila from the person he spoke Lashon Hara about. And the Shechafetz Chaim says that even if the person who was spoken about doesn't know that, so really, I'm telling him now, as part of my asking Mechila, I'm telling him that I spoke Lashon about him, but I'm to do that. The story goes that when the Chavetz Chaim finished his Sefer, he took the Sefer to Rabbi Shlal Salanta to ask for Askama, and Rabbi Shlal read the Sefer, and he refused to give Askama. So Rabbi Shlal got to the Salacha, and because of that, Rabbi Shlal refused to give Askama to the Sefer. And his reasoning was, was just because I want to get Kapara, doesn't give me the right to hurt somebody else. So if by telling them what I did to them is going to cause them pain, what right do I have to cause somebody else pain? The story continues that the Chafetz Chaim said, so write Askama in the Sefer, and just write in Askama that you're not agreeing to the Salacha. And Rabbi Shaw wouldn't do that. He said, people don't read Askamas. They just see which name is written out, and they assume that he gave Askama to the whole book. But the Chafetz Chaim didn't change his mind, so it remains the Machlekes. The Chafetz Chaim holds that a person is Mechayev to ask uh, forgiveness from someone for hurting him, even if the other person doesn't realize he was hurt. And Rabbi Israel holds it's also t- t- in such a case to tell the other person that you, what you did because that's going to hurt them. That doesn't mean he doesn't have to ask for kapara. It just means he's now stuck because he needs to ask for kapara, but he, he's not allowed to hurt someone else in order to do that. Um, so it's brought, like we said, in Hilchus Yom Kippur because this is part of preparing for Yom Kippur. Because since a person wants Kapara in Yom Kippur, then part of preparing for Yom Kippur is, asking Kippur, is making sure that no people have complaints against him because then that, so to speak, enables Hashem to be able to forgive him also. I heard from Yitzhak Ezrahi a tremendous Chiddush. I'll say it over in his name. He says it, with the, he says it from the Vilna Gaon. And that is that when the Gemara says, Ein Yom Kippur Mechaper, Ache Ratis Chaveroi, it doesn't say Ein Yom Kippur Mechaper on that Avera. Until she writes Chavere, and he understood that Yom Kippur is not Mechaper on anything at Chavere, which means that if a person doesn't try and appease his friends, Yom Kippur won't give him anything at all for any of his Averis, and the reason for that is the same reason I said before. When Yom Kippur gives Kapara to a person who did what he could in order to get Kapara on Yom Kippur, but if a person didn't do what he needs to do in order to get Kapara on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is not going to work for them. And therefore, that's definitely a scary reason uh, what should encourage a person to try and ask people for kapara who he feels he might have hurted, hurt or slighted in some way and that no one should uh, therefore have tainas on him or quarters on him when it comes to Yamadin. The next uh, minak or halakh we're going to discuss is the minak to be table on Arab Yom Kippur. Now let's explain something. The tefillah we're talking about today isn't really tefillah which is going to purify a person. Because everyone today is in the category of a Tommy Mace. Somebody who was Tommy in contact with a dead person 
and I'm going to make is not going to help for that. But that a person needs to be sprinkled with the ashes of the Paradoma, which I have today, and therefore the ability to become properly tar is beyond us. Until there's a Megdash, and then once again we'll have a Paradoma. And therefore, even though there's a Mitzvah, uh, which is brought in the Gemara, that a person is Mechuyev to metar himself for a person is to purify himself on the Yom Tov. That purity is not something we can do today because we don't have the ability to purify ourselves, purify ourselves completely. Now, which regal are we talking about? So that will depend what was the point of why the halakha was a person needs to purify himself. In other words, if the reason to purify oneself was for Aliyah the regal, that that may be able to make in the mitzvah of going to the base of Mikdash on Yom Tov, so we're only applied to Pesach, Shavos, and Sukkot, where there were the three regarding, there were three times when there was a mitzvah to go up to the Beis HaMikdash. But if we're talking about your uh, Shoshana and Yom Kippur, there's no chiv to go to the Beis HaMikdash. If that's the case, this chiv wouldn't apply. However, we find that the, the Ramah brings the mitzvah of Tefillah on Erev Shoshana, and the Shoshana brings it specifically on Erev Yom Kippur. He doesn't even talk about Erev Yom Tov. So you understand there must be another reason also. There is another reason given for the mitzvah to retire oneself on the regal, and that is that in order to benefit from the ruchnius of any time one should be tar, and then if a person wants to gain from the spiritual added level that there is in the yantaf, a person needs to be tar for that. And if that's the case, it won't just apply to the three regalim, it will apply to Shoshani and as well. There's also obviously a much more spiritual uh, atmosphere in Shoshani and but by extension, that might apply to every Shabbos, because every Shabbos also has more of a spiritual in- injection. And indeed, there are those who not have the custom of going to the mikveh um, every Arab Shabbos. But that's not brought in the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch brings the Tafka by Hilchus Yom Kippur. But that's the case, there must be another reason, which applies specifically to Yom Kippur and not to the other, not to the other regalim or not to the other Moedim. Now, there are two points over here. The one is, it could be part of the Tara. It's a definition to Torah. And part of Tyre is going to a mikveh. Um, not just phys- like spiritual Tyre, which means purity from Tumah, but it's part of Kapara as well. And the reason for that is it's symbolic that just like originally the creation of the world, everything was covered with water. The Pasuk says, Everything was underwater. And from that water emerged the world, emerged creation. So by submerging oneself in water, and then emerging from the water again, one's also, so to speak, coming out as a new creation, a Bria Chadasha. So when a person comes out of the water, he's also like a Bria Chadasha. So that's one symbolism that there is in the mikveh. Why it's connected to the feeling of Chiva, of re-beginning, which is really a chedek of Yom Kippur more than other days, and which is maybe why the Shulchan Aruch Tafku brings it in the midst of Tfira Tafku here by Yom Kippur. But the Amit says there's a halachic reason here also. Some of the Acharnim bring this, and it's a big Chiddush. It's very interesting. We know that there was an original Takana called Takanas Ezra, that a person would have to go to the mikveh before they learn Torah, or before they daven. And the reason for this Takana, the Gemara says in Brachas, the Tamil Chacham shouldn't be Matri, and this was meant to be some kind of a deterrent. The Gemara tells us that Tfilas Ezra was beyond most people's ability to keep, and therefore at a certain stage this Takana was repealed, 
And even though there still might be a maida or spiritual advantage to it, but it's no longer in the gather of a chil. That's what we have in the Shulchan Aruch also. However, the those who say that the fact that Klai Yisrael weren't recovered to Philos Ezra, and therefore it was repealed as a Takana, only applies to the rest of the year. Yom Kippur, however, since there's an Isra Tashmish, as we know, so therefore in Yom Kippur, the Takana of Tfilas Ezra was still in force. And people have to be in a situation of Tyre in order to daven, which is why going to the Mikveh on Erev Yom Kippur is more of a Chiyuf. And therefore it's uh, in a different category to the other days or even regarding of the year, which is why it's not brought there. Anyway, the Rakh is that a person should table. If it's just for Tyre, one time is enough. If it's for Chiva, so some say three times, there's been Hagim of 39 times. The main point of Tefillah is that the person has to be completely in the water. And even though normally, when it comes to Tefillah for men, which is only a Chumrah or a Minag, so people aren't makbid to check themselves that they don't have any Chatzitzas, nothing on their body, which is going to interfere with, with the water reaching everywhere around their body. But when it comes to Yom Kippur, where there's more of a Chiyuv, so it's brought in the first committee, a person should be more machmir on chatzitzas, which means if a person wants to cut their hair or their nails, they should do that before the tefillah. If a person should wash and make sure there's nothing stuck to his body, whether it's ink or blood or anything else sticky, which might be a chatzitzah, a person should make sure there are no nuts in their hair, in their payas, if they have long payas, in their beard, wherever it's going to be, because when it comes to Yom Kippur, we, are try, we do try to be machmir for men as well, that there should be no chatzitzas. There were places where the minak was for ladies to table, and Arab and Kippur also. Um, maybe there's still a few places in the world like that today, but in the vast majority of places, it's become only a men's minhag. The reason for that probably is because, like we said, the main reason for the Twila was Twila's Ezra, which is something which applies primarily to men. Where there would be a din of Tyra as purity, then it would apply to everybody. But since today we tell me anyway, that's not the main reason. If the reason would be Chiva, there would also be a reason why it would apply to men and to ladies. But even though it's brought in the first commit, there were places where the ladies all used to table as well in Arab and Kippur. Today, in most places, that's not the Minag anymore. What we spoke about, that part of the mitzvah of Yom Kippur, to ready oneself for Yom Kippur, means to do whatever it's going to take so the person can get kapara, is the reason why there was a Minag brought in the Shulchan Aruch even, that people used to give themselves Malkus in Arab and Kippur. It was meant to act as a kapara of some sort. Same thing, there was a minag in some shuls, the Gaba used to provide food in after chakras for everyone in the minion to eat. Now, there's more than one reason for that, but one of the reasons brought is if anybody was nigzer on them, that they should have to receive food from you know, the public, so they should be yotzeh by getting food from the Gaba and, and after some, to eat after chakras in Yom Kippur. And these are also parts of the idea of our preparation for Yom Kippur, in the sense that we're trying to make sure that as many of our various we can take off in advance we have done as much as we can so to speak symbolically even give ourselves something of the oinish so we don't need the gzera on Yom Kippur itself we do that as well and therefore that's the last point and that is obviously these are all small points compared to the main avoider of Erev Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur itself which is Chiva because the Chiva works more than anything else to take away gzera or to give a person kapara and of course there's, there's a mitzvah to eat like we'll still talk about in the next year but when any free time that a person has an Arab kippah or even in kippah itself should be focused on tshuva the minag is to say vidu you already in the minch of Arab kippah 
the reason for that the Gemara says is that a person should come into Yom Kippur in case something happens in the Surah of Sekhazer it's at Vidui the Ramban is another reason that a person should be Nichnas into Yom Kippur already in a mindset of Chuvah uh, now the Mincha of Yom Kippur might be a number of hours before the fast starts which is why there's an Indian also this one brings in Yom Kippur even before Kol Nidre to be Oisek and doing Chuvah and um, those who said Tefillah Zaka works for that it's also a confession of sorts but if that's the case, then since we know that Allah is vidious to be standing up and not sitting down, when a person gets the paragraph in Tfilazaka, which is talking about being misvade, doing vidui, so he should stand up for that paragraph. And that would also be considered a vidui that he's going to Yom Kippur with. In Tfilazaka, we also have the paragraph discussing uh, the, the fact that a person is willing to mochel everybody. Once again, it's not just lip service. The person really has to feel he is able to mochel everybody. And uh, we said that's also a supposed to go to Yom Kippur with because... Like we saw previously, if a person is moichel, others, that's the reason why Hashem will be moichel him too. This is the first part of the avoid of Erev Yom Kippur. In the next year, we'll talk about the other mitzvah of Erev Kippur, which is the mitzvah of eating.